Welcome to episode 210 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 2nd of January 2023. I'm Joe, and with me are Phelan. I'm very sick. Graham. Happy New Year. And Will. Happy New Year. Yeah, we have to keep saying that to everyone. Thank you, Phelan, as well. Sorry, you are a little under the weather, aren't you? So uh, we'll, we'll try not to uh, troll you too much this episode. Uh-huh. I don't believe that this would be the case. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do some news then. The first one is. With voice assistants in trouble, Home Assistant starts a local alternative. That's the headline from Ars Technica. It's not strictly true. What they've done is hired the developer of Raspi, I think is how you say it, which is a local-only voice assistant. The background of this is that the Amazon one, the Google one, less so the Apple one, those voice assistants are just not making any money, and they're laying off people, and they've realized that there's not really a way to monetize it. And so there's a danger they might go away. And Home Assistant being this sort of home automation hub software thing seems like a great home for a new, totally offline, non-cloud dependent voice assistant thing to me. I've been playing with Home Assistant a bit recently, so I will be very interested to see this come to fruition. Now, we've seen open source voice recognition systems before. Um, Mycroft is the the example (laughs) that springs to mind. What are beans? didn't really go anywhere. Uh, Well, I don't know, maybe the people that work at Mycroft may disagree, but um, it didn't really take off. What I like about the approach that Home Assistant are taking is that they have said they're going to keep their scope fairly limited. Their primary goal is to make sure that it understands you in your native language, and then they don't want to go down the route of having it understand every single imaginable thing. For example, um, well... Actually, I'm guessing here because I don't know, but I'm guessing that you know you won't be able to buy bog roll from it like you can with <laughs> yeah. Alexa. So I think that that's a smart move to start limiting the scope. I read an, uh, an article about Alexa and why it wasn't a success in the way that Amazon hoped. And the answer was, as most people would expect, that the use cases for Alexa are very limited. People are setting timers. They're finding out what day it is. They're turning things on and off. They're not doing massive, complicated shopping orders with it. They're not using it instead of their phone, for example. So having a sort of smart home-focused, limited-scope system is interesting. Where I think the plan will struggle is making smart devices that people A, want in their homes and don't look like a 3D printed box, and B, have the decent microphones that Alexa does have, these far-field microphones that are able to pick you up from rooms and rooms away and still understand what you're saying. That's quite difficult. Now, they're not impossible, but quite difficult. So I think that if you want Home Assistant microphones in your house, finding something that is decent enough to want to put on a shelf is going to be the real struggle. I think the software is a solvable problem. I think they've got the right people on it, and it will be interesting to see how quickly they move. Where I will be less confident of them being successful is finding something that I would buy. I think I agree with a lot of what you say. I've Home Assistant we use here for almost everything that we can. Um, it's a really great piece of software. It's incredibly flexible. They offer a hosted version that you can pay for, so you don't even have to delve into the complexity of it. And I'm sure that's where something like this will start in, in selling this device. Now, I also use the Amazon 
device, and I've talked about this before. I, I'm sorry, Phelim. It's <laughs> it's totally the wrong thing to do. It's listening to everything we say and spying on us. And Amazon are building up horrible data sets on everything that we do. It's awful. But I just feel like I'm in the future. I use it for turning things on and off. Exactly all those things you said. Occasionally for orders, but it's linked into Home Assistant using something called HA Bridge, which emulates the Philips Hue system so that I can turn things off and on with voice commands through the, the, the Hue interface. And it works brilliantly. I can't imagine, I don't always do it that way, but it's just, it's just actually become the way that our whole house works. And I'm deeply worried about the fact this is linked to Amazon and it's always listening. And I'm desperately waiting for something to come around that's open source and I can run here to replace it. The thing that worries me, I've noticed this recently with the Amazon devices, they do seem to be getting more desperate. So you will say a simple command and you'll get this mm. annoying, did you know that you could... And mm. I absolutely hate that. I start shouting and swearing <laughs> and <Yeah>. really... <laughs> I mean, everyone here will attest to, to this. I'm very close to switching it all off and saying, well, I'm done with that. And so this couldn't have come at a better time. Good. It's something I've never been interested in because I can't run it locally and be in complete control of it. If this gets to a point where I can do that, then I'm I'm interested, seriously. I don't think I'd be interested in it because I can't be bothered because I find things are harder to interact with if they don't quite know what you mean maybe they can make that nice and smooth and maybe it's amazing and i'm just a curmudgeon but i can absolutely see the use for this in home assisted stuff for people who may have mm. a disability or some issue and it would be a real shame for this to go away because I, i'm pretty certain they'll be using something like one of the things like alexa or the like and for that to go away with nothing there to be able to swap in its place i think it'd be terrible and it'd be really great if this raspy thing or whatever it's called can actually do the job and integrate with all the bits and pieces through Home Assistant. That would be fantastic. And I'd be totally behind that. I mean, I would never use it, but I'm totally for that. I'm really like that boy with a big ball of string. I don't know why. I just have to get everything linked. Every every individual light bulb. <laughs> Dim the bar lights. The thoughts of my house accidentally burning itself to a crisp <laughs> because it silly decided that I need to switch every single piece of electric device on. No. You just need a smart smoke alarm, then you'll be all right. <laughs> smart smoke alarm, yeah. <laughs> Look, SMS from my home alarm is as close as I get to that. <laughs> well, I really hope this succeeds. I really, really do. Lineage 20 has been released. Now, there's two things that are remarkable about this. The first one is how quickly it was released after the Android 13 release of uh, AOSP. And the second is that they have finally got a decent camera app. Now, I've not tried this yet. My device is telling me that it's available, but I have to fuck around to update it. I can't just do an OTA. But it sounds really good to me. Yeah, it sounds great. I, unfortunately, are two releases back in 18.1 and will not be getting it. Because your kernel's too old. Yep. But that's another thing about this release that I was really pleased to read, is that normally they only support two releases at a time. But because so many phones were cut off because of that ABPF stuff, they're going to keep supporting them. So the OnePlus 3T that you've got, and I've got an old one kicking around, is not just going to be abandoned now, and loads of other phones. Yeah, I, I got a release yesterday. 
which I upgraded to. Uh, it seems to be monthly now at this point. It's definitely, even though it says nightly, it is most definitely not nightly. Yeah. But hey, I'll take that. It's fine. So all in all, this looks really good. And it's they've actually said that Google has made it really easy now for them to do these updates. So we're not going to be waiting months and months and months and months like we were before. So uh, this is great news and I, I look forward to trying it. Okay, this episode is sponsored by Linode. Go to linode.com slash late night Linux, support the show and get $100 free credit. From their award-winning support, offered 24-7, 365 to every level of user, to ease of use and setup, it's clear why developers have been trusting Linode for projects both big and small since 2003. Deploy your entire application stack with Linode's one-click app marketplace, or build it all from scratch and manage everything yourself with supported centralized tools like Terraform. And check out their managed MySQL, Postgres, and MongoDB databases that allow you to quickly deploy a new database and defer management tasks like configuration, managing high availability, disaster recovery, backups, and data replication. Simple and fast to deploy with secure access, their flexible plans include daily backups. So go to linode.com slash late night Linux, create a free account, and you'll get $100 in credit and support the show. That's linode.com slash late night Linux. The Matrix Holiday Update 2022, which was last year. How can 2022 be last year? It's only 2021, isn't it? Anyway, there's a load of new features and stuff, and it's, it's all looking good, and the usage statistics are all trending up, and it's all hunky-dory for Matrix, except on the financial front, because there's a bunch of big companies who they don't name and shame who are using Matrix and not contributing back. This is a tale as old as open source time. Yep. And they've had to lay people off. Now, I have seen some chatter that they kind of grew a bit too quickly. Element, the company behind them, kind of acted like a startup and is now realizing that it's very hard to monetize open source. But this is at a time where people are really starting to think about decentralized open source services because of Musk and Twitter and the rise of Mastodon. So it seems like now is a great time potentially for Matrix, but they just have run into this brick wall of funding open source. Yeah, it's a real shame that the big companies that are using it don't, even just for their own benefit of keeping the lower level libraries that they're using going, contribute back. I don't know why we seem to have this issue all the time. It's all the same with like databases, Elastic with, you know, Amazon, their fight that they had. It just seems so easy that you could contribute X percent of what you're doing with it back into the organization generating it. We just It seems that you have to murder and kill the project and then it becomes 100% yours is the only way that things can be done. Just offer some developer time even, just half a day a week. Yeah. And if enough people did it, it'd be great. I do agree really both in principle, but it so rarely happens because there's just no reason for companies to do it. They're just always so conservative. I know that I play devil's advocate a bit, but you know, there's no promise in open source. If you create open source software, you do it for your own reasons. There's no promise that no one's, very few people have been able to make money out of it. So people must know that and relying on people's conscience is never going to work. It's unsustainable. And I think it's still unsustainable for Matrix pleading in this way. It it might help in the short term a little bit, but really they need some kind of other workable model. Otherwise, they are just going to have to abandon it. Yeah, they should track the users and serve them uh, <laughs> ads that are relevant <laughs> to their interests. I mean, I don't know. It's a it's, it's a huge problem. Uh, 
I, d- I don't know. We've talked about it, and I still haven't got a solution. It's like that whole infrastructure fund thing that we always need to have where, look, you want to be part of the system. You all pay in a certain amount. You know, it can be a paltry amount, but if enough people do it, then it's fantastic. And then it gets divvied out into important things. Like this is a highly important thing in the terms of communication between systems. And it's being used in a lot of really big examples as they give, like French government, the German government, all these other things. And, you know... It'd be just great if they actually contributed back. Joe was just telling us that he's bought an Android app. And there's I've bought quite a few apps as well. And yet I'm ashamed to say I don't give the same amount of money to open source projects. Mm. There's just, I don't know why. There's just not that same kind of buy-in feeling. And I think that maybe is something that could be solvable in buying into some, I, I don't mean some separate features necessarily, but into the same feel-good fate feeling that you get from actually owning something and from it being yours that we don't have for good reasons. But maybe that's why, and I don't know. Subliminally inserted, become a KDE member for 100 euros <laughs> a year. I think the problem that open source projects generally are battling against is that there's always an alternative. And that we see that as a strength, but it's also a weakness because there's always a different project that if if one starts asking for money or changes direction and and wants to focus on corporate interests oh fine i'll just go and use something else instead i don't know of anybody who is using matrix as a core part of their business workflow and i know loads that are using slack and i think that the problem here is that matrix is appealing to engineers and linuxy open sourcey folks what they haven't cracked is the the rest of the world, I suppose. Now, obviously, that's a, a massive asking. But if you can work out how to be not only open source and flexible, but also relevant to the big decision makers in these enormous organizations, then you've got it cracked. I think just asking people to pay is going to drive users away. It really comes down to, do you have a business model? And is it viable? And if your business model is hoping that people will pony up the cash or resources, maybe your project isn't going to survive long-term if it's going to totally depend on that. I mean, a mixed business model of donations from end users and then financial contributions or developer contributions from some of the bigger companies that are using your software and then maybe support contracts. You know, you can't just have all your eggs in the basket of please give us money, we deserve it, if you want to survive long term. And uh, couple that with money now not being free anymore, and you've got companies making layoffs left, right and centre, and I think that's part of the problem here as well. The thing is, I've actually found myself using Matrix more and more recently, and it is great. So people should contribute to it. If you are using it in your organisation, then talk to the financial people and say, look, just give them a few quid. We pay for loads of other software. Why don't we just pay for this as well? Maybe we need like a fair trade sticker for companies that use open source. Oh, yeah. that's interesting. So if people are using open source substantially for their business, then they have a an imperative. They can display that kind of branding on their site to show that they're responsible. That's a great idea. Like the sort of investors in people or the B Corp sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. That's a great idea. We should dig into that. Have we just solved funding open source? <laughs> I believe so. Excellent. Do we get a cut? <laughs> yeah. Register the trademark. I'm doing the domain. <laughs> okay, yeah. We, we want 1%. That should do it. 
Don't expect a Raspberry Pi 5 in 2023, says Eben Upton. This was in a fairly long YouTube interview with Explaining Computers. And he talked about it being a recovery year while they try and get the supply chain issues fixed, which we talked about in our end of year thing, I think. So we're not going to expect a Raspberry Pi 5 this year. Totally unrelated, let's just go back to February of 2019, where Upton <laughs> said, I don't have a route to do something this year. That was with regards a Raspberry Pi 4. That was February 2019. June 2019, Raspberry Pi 4 now on sale from $35. So this means we are definitely going to get a Raspberry <laughs> Pi 5 in 2023, as far as I'm concerned. So excellent news. It's so true. You know, we spoke to Eben in the very beginning, and he promised there was no Raspberry Pi 2 on the cards. And there was. And he later apologized for like deceiving us at the time. So I think he's got form on this. I think the problem they'll have is that it would be quite an expensive device. They're already pushing $100 for the the big boys. I presume that the 5 would be an upgrade on processor, RAM, ports, all that good stuff. I think that they could be looking like at the moment they could be looking at, you know, 150, $175 for one of these things. Maybe that's too much money. But uh, we'll we'll see. I hear it comes at five SATA ports. <laughs> five SATA ports, NVMe. Massive heatsink, a fan. 10 gigabit Ethernet, all for $35. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> 16 gigs of RAM. It's got a Matsco processor on it. <laughs> yeah, does AI stuff. In all seriousness, if they do wait until next year, I bet that they could bring the cost down to be not much more than a four if they let stock levels get back up. So, well, prove us wrong, I suppose. Yeah, I can't believe I didn't predict a Raspberry Pi 5 <laughs> in our official predictions episode. And we'll totally have forgotten about this in a year's time. Oh, well. On to a bit of admin then. First of all, thank you everyone who supports us with PayPal and Patreon. We really do appreciate that. If you want to join those people, you can go to latenightlinux.com slash support. And remember, for $10 or more per month on Patreon, you can get an advert-free RSS feed that includes this show, Linux Downtime, and Linux After Dark. And if you want to get in contact, you can email show at latenightlinux.com. Okay, this episode is sponsored by Collide. Traditional endpoint security tools can make your workplace feel like a surveillance state, turn users and the IT team into adversaries, and ultimately drive your employees to work on unsecured personal devices. It doesn't have to be this way. Collide is a device security solution built around honest security. Their philosophy is that employees aren't your biggest security risk, they're your biggest allies, and your relationship with them should be based on transparency and informed consent. Collide works by notifying your employees of security issues via Slack and giving them step-by-step instructions on how to resolve them themselves. For IT and security teams, Collide provides the right level of visibility for Mac, Windows and Linux devices. It can answer questions about your fleet's security that traditional MDMs can't. You can meet your security goals without compromising your values. Visit collide.com slash late night Linux to find out how. If you follow that link, they'll hook you up with a goodie bag just for activating a free trial. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash late night Linux. 2022 was the year of Linux on the desktop. This is according to Justin Garrison. He noticed that on the 2022 Stack Overflow developer survey, the percentages for Linux look really good and are more than macOS, asterisk. (laughs) When you actually dig into it, you realize that, hang on, these percentages don't add up. So for, let's just say professional use, because they've got personal and professional. So for professional use, Windows about 49%, Linux 
Linux, about 40%. Mac, about 33%. Now, that's more than 100% chaps, if my math checks out, as they say. So that suggests to me that people are counting WSL and virtualized environments and Docker and stuff as Linux. So it's not quite true to say that Linux is more popular than macOS, but uh, let's just take it as a win anyway. Could the people be using all of those platforms? Is that why that doesn't add to 100? Does that even work? I don't know. I don't know, Matt's. The question they were asked is, what is the primary operating system in which you work? So I would have imagined them to choose one, but yeah, it looks like people have chosen multiple. There's a lot of really good, useful information in the survey results. The one that struck me was that more people claim to be using Linux for personal use as their primary operating system than they do for professional use. And, and I think that number has increased steadily over the years as well. So I think that's really the, the, like the grassroots. People are choosing to use Linux instead of macOS, not instead of Windows, but instead of macOS. Uh, you know, for their hobbies. And um, that's just encouraging. And I'm I'm excited by all of these results. You say people, people who copy paste stuff off Stack Overflow. Yeah, professional software developers, same thing. <laughs> yeah, which is a realization I think I came to a long time ago that Linux can succeed on the desktop for a certain type of user, and it doesn't have to succeed for everyone for it to be a success. And here we are seeing software developers using Linux. And, you know, it's not the the 1% on Steam or whatever that is now with the Steam Deck pushing it up. It's, it's not the 1% on Pornhub or whatever. It's, you know, this is a massive chunk of professional computer users using Linux. I mean, we all feel it. We've been feeling it for a long time, but it's great to see it kind of recognized in results like this. Across the board, I mean, I was just looking at the synchronous tools, they call it. And Mattermost, for example, is quite high in the list of tools that are being used. It's really amazing how well open source has done, how well Linux is doing. I, I haven't really got a negative thing to say about it. There's enormous amounts of open source software being used. Things like Kubernetes and Terraform and NPM and tons of like cloud orchestration tools, which are all open source. The whole thing is just entirely built on open source software and Linux as a, an underpinning on that. It's a really nice set of results. It's made me feel really enthusiastic about open source for this coming year. And yeah, it's just it's just a great read. There's a lot of uh, useful information we could, we could scrape out of this, I think. Uh, 82% of developers really using NeoVim. Mm. Yeah, I saw that. It must be that 1% of BSD users. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think that's the uh, the real takeaway from all of this, that BSD is the new Linux. It's only at 1%. <laughs> it is for me. <laughs> How's your license do now, boys? <laughs> there is uh, some less, I don't know, less positive insights here. The, the respondents to this survey, and I choose to believe that that is a reflection on software developers generally, were 92% men and... You know, across the board, it's it's old white men filling in the survey, which is a shame. But not at all surprising. Not at all surprising. Mozilla to explore a healthy social media alternative. This was posted at the end of last year, talking about how early this year they were going to join the Fediverse and, uh, you know, allow their users to get into it with Mastodon and whatnot. 
And what I find really amusing about this is that the EU managed to get a Mastodon instance running before Mozilla. (laughs) (laughs) That tells you quite how lean and mean Mozilla are, or perhaps are not. Two. Two days into 2023 before we shat on Mozilla. (laughs) Not even two whole days. (laughs) (laughs) Although, you know, you do have to take your time with these things and you've got to get it right. So let's be fair to them. Let's not judge it before they actually do it. And in terms of huge instances, I'd kind of trust Mozilla to run one more than I would a lot of other organizations. But shouldn't they have already been on this? Like, this is literally their remit of the open and non-centralized internet with the browser that protects your privacy. And yet they're always last to the party every fucking time. They do seem reactive rather than proactive, don't they, generally? This is a reaction to Musk just destroying Twitter rather than them kind of seeing where the ball was going and being proactive about it. I think they've been proactive about some things, just (laughs) maybe the wrong things in the past. So perhaps they're being a bit overcautious in this case. I think it's the right thing to do. I don't feel, if they get it right, and also if they somehow make some nice integration into Firefox to help people navigate what can be a bit of a difficult abstract idea, then I I think it's okay. And, you know, I think it's a good move and... I don't feel that negative about it. Maybe it's the beginning of the year. I'm not. I'm feeling positive. <laughs> I think what Joe said about trusting Mozilla to do a good job of it and to do it properly, I think that's very true. And I absolutely do trust Mozilla to do a good job of it and to make sure that there aren't any skeletons in the closet and, and that they do a decent job of it. So I look forward to, to seeing what they produce. Well, apart from anything else, they are under so much scrutiny, aren't they? If they fuck it up, people are going to let them know. Yeah, and then they can moderate that themselves. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, this episode is sponsored by Entroware. Go to entroware.com. Entroware sells computers with Ubuntu and Ubuntu Mate pre-installed. They've got a range of desktops, laptops, and servers, and most parts are configurable, so you can pick the CPU, RAM, and storage that's right for you. If you can't find exactly what you want, then do contact them and they'll work with you on a bespoke solution that's perfect for your needs. They ship to the UK, Republic of Ireland, France, Germany, Italy and Spain. And if you do buy one of their machines, there's a little drop down at checkout and you can select late night Linux so they'll know that we sent you. So go to entroware.com for all your Linux computing needs. Let's do a quick KDA corner before we get out of here then. And... uh, this isn't going to be quick, is it, Fanny? We've got about 50 fucking links here. I have 50 links, but I mean, I will leave most of them as a exercise for people to read. Uh, you see, you chopped off the KD corner I prepared for the last two episodes, so I had, to, I had to cram them in here somehow. I swear I crossed that out in the doc, and you uncrossed it out. I did not uncross it, no. You, you made me do work. There is no way I was doing work out of uh, any form of initiative on my own part. Okay, fair enough. All right, well, give us like a month's worth of KDA Corner in one minute. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, Gear 2212 was out, was out. Gwenview is simple interface tweaks. Kate and Kwright have a nice welcome window. Kate has the new macro two in. Kdn Live has got guides and markers, easier search for sort filters. It's got this keyframeable effects thing that you can do and Glaxonate, which is this apparently video on a background that you can do, which sounds quite 
video-y and cool. It's got a hamburger menu stuff in there. It's got a new What's This ability, which is quite handy for people who are clueless like myself. And QT6 is pretty much there, they say. And as of today, Tokadon released a new release. What's Tokadon? So this is a Mastodon KD client. Ah. Um, yeah, and it's got account switcher, it's got a media hider, custom emojis, it's got a new timeline thing to try and match more like the web page does. It's got search and poll support and hashtags or whatever they're called in Mastodon speak, I can't remember. But uh, yeah, it's a really excellent piece of software and uh, it's just out today. All right, and rewritten Spectacle. Yeah, so Spectacle has been rewritten into Qt Quick, which will be coming out in the next batch of updates in around April. And it's because it's using Qt Quick, it means it's easier to develop and it's going to be able to have screen recording built into it at a later date. And it sort of plays better with Wayland, I believe, but I don't really fully under know. But yeah, there's a lot of things that have been switched over to Q- uh, QT Quick, which is quite cool. Uh, it makes life much easier to manage them. We also have a bunch of uh, updates from Nate. Wayland Fractional Scaling, which we kind of talked about, that's going to do the Snoop Allow stuff so that, you know, the whole screen recording things are quite hard to do or screen sharing rather with Wayland. They fixed a massive multi-screen issue where they were using the connector ID as a way to identify screens and things like the Stream Deck would actually rename that on every connect and disconnect. So that absolutely made a mess of stuff, but they've got a new index-based system. So people who have widgets on screens that disappeared or got mangled, that should hopefully all be gone now. There's a new color picker stuff. There's a CL info for people who use OpenCL. That'll be in 527. A new time zone stuff for the KRunner. And there is KD Connect can now transfer files. I don't know what these files are that are greater than two gigabytes, but you can now transfer them. Hmm. Yeah, the odd ISO, I suppose, might be a little bit more than two gigabytes. Yeah, I often find myself transferring an ISO to my phone to burn on its SD card. Yeah, yeah. Once you've used, uh, what, what's the torrent client in KDE these days? I believe it's called KTorrent, but I wouldn't use such a thing. <laughs> All right, okay, yeah. But yeah, you could get your ISO with that and then stick it on your phone with this. Yeah, <laughs> excellent. And he also finally gives us a overview of 2022, which is quite good to work down all the stuff that KDE has done over the year. And it's quite an impressive list and well worth a read. All right, Craft version 1.0, what's this? This is for the self-employed among us who want to send out invoices and things like that. And it's quite a nice piece of software, which looks an awful lot better than messing around in the likes of Calc or whatever you might use yourself. And uh, especially for Graham, it runs on WSL. All right, and some fundraisers, including the Caden Live one, which was a great success. Yeah, um, the KDE one itself went to about 26,000 so far, and the KDE Live one went to 21,000, and they are both looking for 20,000. And I think that's fantastic, and it's a great sort of resounding success from the community, because what they're hoping to do is to employ people directly through KDE themselves to try and build back sort of, you know, your funds actually employ people to do things and not just rely on companies and stuff. So I think that's a really great effort, and well done to everybody who donated. All right, and the Linux App Summit is going to be in the Czech Republic in April. Now, this shows my ignorance and my little Englanderness, but I really thought you'd typoed the name of the place. <laughs> yeah, and all I can think of when I hear or see the name is Bruno. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I don't know how you say the name either. So, uh, I apologize. B R N O. Yes. That doesn't have enough vowels in it. It sounds like some Web 2.0, like, you know, Flickr or something like that. Anyway, this is quite a big event, isn't it? It is, yeah. And uh, it brings together KDE, Gnome, and the likes of 
all the developers are writing to apps for stuff. So I think it's a great place and I would love to have an excuse to go there. And in 2017, it was designated as the city of music. So it sounds like a great place. Check beers. Come on, who, who doesn't want to go? Yeah, well, I heard that people had great fun at the Ubuntu Summit in the Czech Republic. That was in Prague. And uh, it's supposed to be a beautiful country. So yeah, go along if you can. We'd better get out of here then. We'll be back next week with a load of discoveries and who knows what else. But until then, I've been Joe. I've been Phelan. I've been Graham. And I've been Will. See you later.